Welcome to the podcast of Follow Baptist Church. Our vision and mission is to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged and inspired by this message. For more information on Follow Church, you can visit our website at www.followchurch.com.au. We're going to open God's Word now. Do you know what I love about this book? It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's the same in 2017 as it was in 2016. Still powerful, still life-changing. Our culture changes, people's opinions change. God's Word remains. And so we're going to open it today as we continue our series um, called The Fruits of Summer. And today we're looking at the fruit of self-control. Uh, we're going to Luke chapter 4, verses 1 to 13. If you don't have a Bible, um, there's Bibles at the end of the row. If you don't own a Bible, that's yours to keep. If you do, you can just use it and put it back on the floor when you finish. So Luke chapter 4, verses 1 to 13. Uh, Lockie Pryor is going to be preaching today for the first time uh, and the last time in this venue. But his first time it follows. So we're really excited to, to have him sharing the word today. And so we're going to be an encouraging congregation today. Let's practice. Let's, let's smile. Smile. Excellent. Nod your head. Excellent. Say amen. amen. Wayne, you've got a few people with you today, mate. That's great. But yeah, be enthusiastic. If he tells a joke, it's not funny. Laugh anyway, because uh, that's grace, isn't it? We've got to be gracious. Uh, his first time, so uh, really excited. He's uh, internationally renowned and sought after. He's got a whole international group here today from the US that have come. This whole row from the US have come just to see Lockie. So uh, he must be really good. So no pressure, mate. But um, it's going to be great. Week chapter four. Verses 1 to 13, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. Let me read that again. I reckon that's pretty incredible. I'm not preaching. Sorry, I won't preach. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. That's pretty profound. He ate nothing during those days and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor for it has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil then led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. He said, if you are the son of God, he said, Throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, It says, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Welcome, Lockie. Thank you, Luke, for warming up the crowd for me. <laughs> like the opening act. Um, yes, so, well, good morning. It is such a privilege to be standing in front of you this morning to have the opportunity to share. Um, my prayer for us is that we will learn some things about our Jesus. We will grow in our relationship with the Father, be equipped in our daily mission in this world, and uh, maybe have a giggle or two along the way. I'll cue you on those. <laughs> but um, let's just offer this time now to God briefly in prayer. Father, we, we thank you for this church. We thank you for the obedience of your people who are here to gather in your name uh, in this place uh, for the last par- past year or so. 
but more so, Lord, for their willingness to serve their community in so many ways and, and to love you. We pray this morning that your word will be spoken to these people, not mine, and that it will be used to strengthen your kingdom here on earth. Amen. So yes, my name is Lachlan. Uh, some of you may not have met me before. I've been a member of this church way back since last year. Um, cue giggles. <laughs> it was only uh, eight days ago. Um, but I'll just tell you a little bit about myself before I share. Uh, I was born and raised for the first 31 years of my life in Adelaide, South Australia. So I'll bet, put that out there on the table right now. And you've all switched off your hearing aids. Um, I grew up in the Baptist church, uh, gave my life to Christ as a kid and then was baptised as a 17-year-old. My grandfather was a Methodist pastor. My, I have two uncles who pastor churches in the uh, Uniting and Baptist churches, respectfully. Uh, and uh, my mother is an ordained minister with the Baptist Union of South Australia. My sister met her husband uh, while she was on mission in Indonesia. And my brother is an engineer, but he's just finished uh, running a kids camp uh, over in Adelaide, leading hundreds of our future warriors for Christ. So what about me? Well, I'm a salesman. <laughs> I'm a real estate agent. I sell houses or dreams. We won't dwell on that, but just so you know, I come from good pedigree at least. Um, but what, what brings me here to Victoria? Um, well, it's this amazing, beautiful, precious woman you might have met, Katie, um, Warrigal girl who stole my heart in an instant uh, a few years ago on a Christian dating site. I'm not ashamed to say. ChristianMingle.com. Check it out, fellas, if you're <laughs> still prospecting out there. It does wonders, um, but we, uh, we got married in Adelaide a couple of years ago nearly and um, spent some time there, uh, but we've decided to make our home here. Um, we live in Pakenham and we work in the area So um, with, our, with our little dog, Kobe. <laughs> Me, I love um, American football. I love roasting, drinking, talking about making coffee. Uh, I like Italian food. I'm not too flash hot on the walks on the beach, I'd rather a hike uh, or a kick of the ball somewhere or a throw of the ball. So anyway, today we'll, we'll get straight into it. We are talking about, we're going to continue our summer series on the summer fruits, which I think is a great title. Um, going back a year ago, we started the, uh, the series out of Galatians 5, uh, where Pastor Dave kicked off the series with peace. Um, we've heard from Luke about patience and faithfulness, and Dave has also spoken about joy and then goodness last week. Um, so there are still some fruits left over, and I'm going to read uh, Galatians 5, 16, 23, just to refresh our memories. It says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are under the law. You're not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. And I warn you as I did before that lo- those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things, there is no law. So, I got self-control. Preparing for today, 
been thinking over and over, man, why is God using me to, to share with follow about this subject? I've got no self-control. You know that, that Pringles jingle? That would be my, my biography. Once you pop, you can't stop, the Lachlan Price story. <laughs> but um, when you look at all those, uh, those fruits together, gentleness, joy, peace, patience, self-control, it feels, like, it feels kind of like the odd one out. It's, it's one that we tend to beat ourselves up about. It's not as uplifting as the others. We think to ourselves, oh, why did I do that? Or why didn't I say that? It's hard not to feel. It's just all too hard. So anyone, uh, so we're in January, anyone out there got any New Year's resolutions? Hands up, New Year's resolution people. One, not many of you. I'm a big New Year's resolution guy. Have you kept your New Year's resolutions so far? Yeah, still going strong. Um, I love them. I've got a stack of them this year. What I most love about January 1 is you get a clean slate. It's a clean sheet. sheet. Um, I love a bit of uh, competition with myself. I get a chance to get a streak going to see how long I can last from day one. Last year, my New Year's resolution uh, was, a, was a big one, it was a tough one. I decided to quit sugar, completely removed refined or added sugar from my diet. Uh, a very close friend of mine said it only lasted a month, so that gave me all the motivation I needed. Um, I did manage to last six months, um, which I was very proud of. On a strict diet, I enjoyed good results. I had better energy, which meant I exercised more, which meant I slept better, which meant I made better decisions, which meant I ate better foods, which meant I had more energy, which meant I exercised more, which meant I slept better, which meant I made better decisions, which meant... You can uh, get the picture. So I'm trying it again. I'm back off sugar this year. Uh, we're just down at Phillip Island on, on the weekend on Friday night, enjoying this hot weather. Um, ice cream shops on every corner. <laughs> that was tough. I won that battle, but the war is fierce, and it will be long, and it will be hard. There is one uh, fruit, uh, one uh, piece of uh, piece of food that I won't be able to touch, not a fruit at all. Um, come wintertime, it'll be the marshmallows by the fire. We can put a pack of those coloured flavoured ones. They're my favourite. Put those in front of me. They're gone. You just have one and you have another and you have another and then the, the packet's empty. But it reminded me when I was thinking about that of uh, an experiment that you may have heard of. It's called the marshmallow test. Anyone heard of the marshmallow test? Yeah? You'd be good at the marshmallow test, I reckon, Josh. Go an hour or two. It was an experiment. It's back in the 60s. Stanford University uh, did an experiment with children uh, based around self-control or delayed gratification. In the study, a child was offered a choice of one small reward provided immediately or they can wait for a period of time until the person conducting the experiment came back and then they'd get two rewards. So in this case, it was a marshmallow. So they had one marshmallow in front of them, so you can have this now, or if you can wait until I come back, I'll give you two marshmallows. So some of these kids, they, I saw a, a video of this experiment conducted, uh, aged about three to six. They found some pretty creative ways to pass the time. They're sniffing this thing like it's nasal spray. It's right up in there. Give me a taste of that. They're rubbing it in their hands and then licking their hands. They're putting it just right on their lips just to get that flavour in there. They're picking at it, like taking tiny little bits, just putting it on their tongue. Anything they can do to not eat the marshmallow, but still enjoy the experience. Others, they just they just grit right through it. They'd stare this thing down and they'd, they'd get into a staring contest with it and you could hear them saying, you think you're better than me? You think you're better than me? I don't think so. And some kids, they passed the test. They got their second marshmallow. Some kids didn't. They just couldn't resist. They ate the first one. Didn't get the second one. But is this what, is the imagery, is this the imagery that's conjured up when we think of self-control? 
Some of us, it feels, it feels like following orders. It feels like trying not to do the wrong thing. Uh, it, uh, it's like a commandment. Like we're deriving ourselves of pleasure or enjoyment when we exercise self-control. We picture words like stop, don't, less, restrictive, retractive, downer words. It reminds me of comedian Jerry Seinfeld. He made the observation of how different it is being a kid from being a parent. Because when you're little, your life is up. The future's up. Everything you want is up. Wait up, hold up. I don't want to clean up. Let me stay up. But for parents, it's the opposite. Everything's down. Hey, just calm down. Slow down. Come down here. Sit down. Put that down. <laughs> but I think there are two sides of the coin. Now, my purpose for quitting sugar this year isn't just because I know it's right or think it's a good thing to do. But yes, self-control, it, it helps us from not doing the right thing, it, the wrong thing. It protects us from sin. It prevents damage to ourselves and others. But it's important to do good. I think practicing self-control doesn't have to mean sitting on our hands and not doing this or that. I think it's designed to lead, not designed to lead to a mastery of inaction, but it's to lead action, to bless others and to be closer to God. The fruit of the Holy Spirit, it's how we show God's character in the world. The gospel message needs the fruits of the Spirit to push out there into the world, to love people, to be kind to people, to be joyful in all things and to be faithful to him. Because the Gospels are now. It's not the chair. It's the Gospel. It's a verb. I say it was a noun. It's not a noun. So church this morning, we're going to look at what self-control looks like. We're going to think about why we need self-control and how it helps the other fruits of the Spirit and how is that going to happen for us. So we hunt down in the Bible. I'll have a quick drink here. Hunting in the Bible for a good example to follow. There are plenty. Genesis, we read about Joseph who was sold by his jealous and insecure brothers uh, as a slave to Egypt. He served the captain of the guard. He was a great worker, but he was hassled by the boss's wife time and time again to commit adultery. I can imagine being 17 years old um, at the time when he was sold into slavery. He would have been a red-blooded young teen at this point or a young man, but he, he resisted. He served his master and his God well. He did the right thing. And what about Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah or Meshach, Shadnach and Abednego? Four more youngsters that were brought across from another land for government service. Their training involved a special diet provided uh, to the king's table um, and it was regard- regarded as unclean to the Jews. Daniel said, no, we're not, we're not going to eat that, we're just going to eat veggies. But this is before King Nebuchadnezzar goes crazy. He allowed them their request. And in Daniel 1.15 it said, They looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate royal food. And verse 17, To these four young men God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. That's two marshmallows if you ask me. But what about if we don't exercise self-control? Well, the best example I'd have to say would be back in Genesis 3. Adam and Eve, they couldn't resist being tempted and eating the forbidden fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The serpent who represented Satan made the fruit out just to be so inviting. It told Eve she wouldn't die. She'd be just like God, knowing all things and receiving wisdom, which sounds pretty good. I've got to tell you, sometimes sin is, is just really appealing. It makes it very hard to exercise self-control, especially when it's something that we're convinced is good for us in the short term or the long term. 
We arrive in the fork in the road and we know we should go this way, but this way just seems like the better option. But this morning we're going to dig into Luke 4. We're going to see how Jesus fared uh, when it came to self-control, when the devil attempted to tempt Jesus. So just to provide a bit of context for where we are in the, in the book, uh, Luke's Gospel begins with the foretelling of the birth of John the Baptist and then we have the birth of Jesus. And by the end of chapter 2, he's settled into the temple. He's showing himself to be quite the scholar. And in verse 52, at the end of chapter 2, it says, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favour with God and men. So it's all grown up. Uh, and we, it, it's a time in chapter 3 where John's preaching to crowds of people, he's baptising, and they're getting really excited about this guy. They're claiming he's the Christ. And he says to them, no, there's a guy in sandals coming and he won't use water, he'll use the Holy Spirit and fire to baptise you. While everyone gets baptised at this time, Jesus does too. And it says in uh, chapter 3, while he was praying, heaven opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him. So we're into Luke 4, verse 1. And the Spirit leads Jesus out into the desert. He's fully God, but he's also fully human. So he's just identified with us as sinners and being baptised. And now it's his turn to be identifying with us in our temptation. So it says it was a period of 40 days. That is amazing. 40 days without food. He would have been starving to death. And the devil says, hey... If you are the son of God, you must be pretty hungry. Tell this stone to become bread. Easy peasy. You've got some food. And his response, as we read, was man does not live on bread alone. The King James Version says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. A great comeback by Jesus. Defiant. He's super hungry, but he's fueled by the spirit. How often do we, are we the opposite? We're full in the stomach and empty of the spirit. I can only speculate, but Jesus was probably thinking, yeah, that's a good argument. That's tempting. But this is the essence of our temptation. Satan is enticing us with a legitimate desire. The human side of Jesus is thinking, hey, I'm God. I know I'm God, but this human flesh that's carrying me around, if I run out of gas, I can't do it. I can't do what I'm here for. I'll be useless. Satan knows good and evil. He knows legitimate desires and he can convince us to carry them out in an illegitimate race he's a he's a crafty devil also i noticed that jesus he doesn't use any supernatural powers here to, to resist the temptation he he quotes the bible deuteronomy 8 3 is where he's quoting uh and i bet you can hear him muttering it for days sort of like a mantra of self-control bread alone bread alone not my bread alone bread bread bread's a funny word the other thing I notice here is Satan, he's taunting Jesus. He's saying, hey, if you're the son of God, if you really are the son of God, I'm not buying it. You just steal this stone to become bread. Maybe you can prove yourself. And that's something that I struggle with uh, growing up in a Christian home, in a Christian family, in a Christian environment, sometimes feeling trapped by the rules and regs of trying to live a good life. Time and time again, I've I've felt that exact temptation, that taunt from Satan. Hey, you've been a good boy. You're a child of God. Don't make it so hard for yourself. Where's it got you? Treat yourself. It's a real stumbling block, but the best reminder is Deuteronomy. All I need is the word of God. So the second temptation that Satan offers Jesus is all the kingdoms of the world for just one moment of worship in exchange. 
verse 5 to 7, the devil led him up to a high mountain and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. He said, I will give you their authority and splendor for it has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, all will be yours. He responds in the same way. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. If you think about it, back in the fall, Satan won the earth when Adam and Eve ate the fruit, right? Man elected sin. We took that fruit and we said, yeah, I'll choose to disobey. Um, And Jesus doesn't argue. He knows that. In Revelation 11, it says, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever. But Satan, he's saying, you can have this now. Skip the cross. You know what's coming. Skip that awful step. Fulfill your promises straight away. He's still hungry. Like Jesus is near death anyway. He's probably starving. He's on death's door. This is literally torture for Jesus. And Satan's like, hey, I'll put you out of misery. Just quick curtsy, quick bow. But once again, Jesus is quoting scripture. So time again, he's showing that a spirit-filled believer can resist temptations as a man. Unlike Adam and Eve, or unlike us sometimes, but we have the same tools as our disposal as Jesus did, the Word and the Holy Spirit. So the third event, in verse 9, Jesus tests self-control of Jesus through signs and wonders. They go over to Jerusalem, they stand on the top, or they sit atop the top of the temple. There's a tower at the top of the temple, surrounded by giant walls, and he says, hey, you're the son of God, once again, trying to bruise that ego. Throw yourself down from here. And Satan continues, for it is written, you can play that game, I can play too. He will command his angels concerning you to, to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so you will not strike your foot against a stone. So he's playing Jesus at his own game. He's quoting scripture himself, trying to convince him that it would be a great PR move to jump off this tower where the angels saved you and everyone will be super amazing, super impressed. So Jesus says, that's not how you do it. He, he, he responds his misuse of scripture with his own proper use of the Bible. He's back in Deuteronomy, this time 6 verse 16. And he says, do not put the Lord to the test. Because Jesus knew what Satan was trying to play at. He knew that it was twisting scripture to make his point. And he saw right through what he was asking him to do. Leap off a building and have an angel save him. I mean, he knows that's a pointless, it's a self-serving miracle. It's like me sitting home watching TV, uh, dogs sitting there. I get up off the couch. I go over to him and say, hey, Kobe, you do this? You do that? And the Kobe's like, uh, no. Why don't you use that arm to get me some food and that arm to get me a leash so we can go for a walk? It's not impressive. I'm just showing off. Missed my hair up there. So we, we end this verse in, in verse 13, Luke 4, verse 13. When the devil had finished all his tempting, he left him until an opportune time. So he slunk back into the grass. He's waiting for that opportune time to pounce again. And there always is an opportune time. He finds one. And we need to be ready. 1 Peter 5, 8 which I remember Ray touched on a bit last year, we need to be alert and of sober mind because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Jesus' source of self-control in these hardcore, near-impossible situations of temptation were the Word of God, 
and the Holy Spirit. They're tools available to us today. So why is self-control so important in our life? Well, some people, and I've been guilty of this in the past as well, they'd say it's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. You heard that one before. But wiser folks among us, they say prevention is the best medicine. Guys, we are in a battle. 1 John 2.16 says, All that is in this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the Word. That's Satan's idea of the world, not his. I'm standing in front of you today telling you that I am out of control. I'm a sinner. I'm imperfect in his sight. I'm broken. I'm tempted every hour of every day. And I can't be in this fight on my own. The Holy Spirit is a gift from God. It is God. The fruit, the dividend, the payoff, the reward is life. Life from Jesus when he defeated hatred. He defeated jealousy. He defeated your sexual immorality. He hung on the cross. He felt your rage and he felt your sadness. And then it was finished. So today and through this whole series on Galatians 5, the focus is not on the results because we're not perfect people. No, we have a perfect God who wants us to succeed. He sent his spirit to help us and we want to look at our purpose on this earth and have the spirit of self-control to help in these endeavours. We need self-control to show godly love instead of lust, instead of infatuation. We need self-control to have godly joy in all situations. We need self-control to get along with others peacefully instead of inciting conflict. We need self-control to be patient, to patiently bear with others and patiently wait on him. Without self-control, we, we need to be thoughtful to be kind, to be thinking of others before ourselves. We need self-control to be good. It can be a narrow, lonely road, but the journey is rich. We need self-control to be faithful, not to be shattered by debate and mockery and doubt from others. And we need self-control to be gentle, to be servants, showing mercy and compassion to others. I'll cop to it today. My area of weakness, it would be selfishness. I am a selfish man. My sinful nature is all about looking out for number one, me. I struggle with this. I put my own wants and needs before my wife, my family, my friends, my God. And this has been especially evident uh, in being married over the last 20 months. Uh, Being in this sort of a relationship, it really puts a mirror in front of a man's character, as I'm sure you can appreciate. If we go back to the marshmallow experiment, I'm the marshmallow. I'm the first marshmallow in a selfless, fulfilling life. That's the second one. So I need self-control to put others before myself, restrain and refrain from myself, from what I want, And humility and kindness and love and joy all springs from that. So, what would be your marshmallow? Jesus' temptation was Satan's own twisted marshmallow test. He knew about the second marshmallow. He knew it was a doozy. It was him fulfilling the prophecy to save the universe, to save us. It's a massive triple fudge sundae with nuts and ice cream and wafers and lots of giant marshmallows. Well worth the wait for those of us uh, eating sugar this year. But that first marshmallow for Jesus, that was turning stones into bread, taking the kingdom back by worshipping Satan or showing off his powers. And your marshmallow could be anything. Mine, selfishness, probably laziness too. Actually, I've got a whole list here. We'll take another half an hour. But if you're struggling with 
your own self-control. I'm no expert, but I would offer three pieces of advice. And they all start with P, so they're really easy to remember. First one is paper. I'm cheating on that one. Paper and prayer, so your Bible and prayer. Jesus knew how to encounter temptation in the right way because he knew his Bible. He knew the, the truth and it sprung up in him at the right time. I don't think we need to memorize word to word, front to back, the entire Bible, which would be nice if we could. But the more we encounter God through scripture and prayer, the stronger the spirit is in us when it matters. Number two is another P word, phone a friend. You can't do this without the spirit, uh, but we definitely can't go at it alone on earth either. Find someone you can trust and share with them where you need help with self-control and become more accountable to them. And make accountability fun. Make it a game. Add some incentives like the good old gold stars you used to get on the fridge for cleaning your room or not playing the drums after 9 o'clock at night. That was an empty fridge. (laughs) And the third would be preparation. So no matter what you're feeling, no matter what you do or what you've done, wherever you go, he is the Lord of that place. He is the Lord of the situation. He is sovereign in all things. He is the Lord of now. Think of a phrase, a one-sentence prayer that acknowledges God's presence and plan for you in that moment and invites him to help you in that situation. I'm going to test you guys now. It could be as simple as... Nah, we don't remember. (laughs) Just last year, put God first. Put God first. Just say, hey, you're first. You are here. I don't need this. Or it's only a marshmallow. That could work. I'm going to close with this now, guys. Um, the primary focus of this series, it's, it's to give our whole lives to Jesus. It's not to focus on the results, but to focus on him. He is the vine and we are the branches. He just wants our best. Let's not get caught up in too many New Year's resolutions. Let's get stuck into some new life resolutions. Let's invite the Holy Spirit to help us do that. His word will guide us and his Holy Spirit will empower us. Amen. All right, let's pray. Dear Father, we believe in you. We've entered your kingdom and your spirit has come to live in us. And the fruit of your spirit is growing and growing in us as we remain with you. Help us to continue to talk to you, to listen to you, to read your word. And we pray that love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness will come as you help us with our self-control and that will grow in us and show in us because of our relationship with you. Amen.